Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by Eminence, Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota's strange winter continues. The Golden Gopher women's gymnastics team remains undefeated, but first. The operators of Lutzen Lodge vowed to rebuild after an early morning fire Tuesday destroyed the historic resort on the north shore of Lake Superior. Lolly Cooper, a town supervisor in Lutzen, told MNN's Bill Warner, most people in the community are really devastated and there's a lot of sadness and still a lot of shock. That place was seen by people I think worldwide came to visit our little community, the uh, Lutzen Resort. Our boys that went out there at midnight, they were still out there when I was on my way to work. I can't imagine fighting that fire knowing that it was absolutely destroyed. The only thing that was standing was the chimney. Uh, and, that's, a, that's, that's just very, very sad. It, it, it was, well, you know, I, I think one of the things we have to keep in mind is there was no loss of life. There was no injuries. And that is the most important part. Are you aware that uh, Lutzen Resort burned to the ground in 1949 and again in 1951? I, I am. So yeah. it's not their first go-around, but it has been about 75 years. So I'm, I, I'm sure it's a big, it's quite different. And for a little fire department, we have a great group of boys, like men, who go out there and fight their everything they got. They try to get that fire out and... I have to just shout out to all the men who, and women who are out there fighting that fire today. I'd like to thank them for their hard work and dedication. And that, I think, must have gone up almost like a timber box. That must have been a tough fire to fight, uh, given the size of the—we know, both of us know the size of the timbers in that building, right? And that they were well-seasoned. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Yeah, for 70-plus well, years. I don't— I saw some photographs from um, Moose Mountain. Somebody had taken some pictures, and the mm. uh, flames were shooting really high in the air, so that thing went up fast. I still remember when I first went there with my family in about 1967, so that lodge was not, the Lundee Lodge was not all that old <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Yeah, that was an unforgettable experience. I mean, for a kid from Minneapolis, you know, flatland, right? <laughs> that's what we call you guys, is oh, flatland. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is compared to there, you know, and be, seeing all that, that rock and those birch trees and the uh, oh, yeah. sea there, basically, with Lake Superior, right? Uh, that was um, just a, a tremendous eye-opening experience for me at that age. Well, well I think there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of memories. Yeah. And that's all we have now. As the investigation continues into the fire at Lutzen Resort, State Fire Marshal Daniel Cryer says. At this time, we haven't ruled out any type of cause. When we have situations like this, we were probably talking weeks for an investigation. We will be very cautious to make sure that any information released does not jeopardize our investigation. Cryer acknowledges the level of interest and says his office realizes the local, regional, and statewide impact. It's something that my office is taking very seriously to make sure we can get some answers as to how the fire started. Meanwhile, there was an outstanding order for an annual checkup testing of the fire alarm and sprinkler systems. Cryer says they had received an email notification that the lodge was ready for reinspection, but their inspector had not been able to go out into the field and verify that. 
I don't know the status of the fire sprinkler system at the, the time of the fire. Cryer says the agency's supervisor on fire sprinkler inspections has consulted with investigators to try to make a determination. That information would be a part of the investigation at this time. State Fire Marshal Daniel Cryer. Lutzen Resort was established in 1885 by Swedish immigrant Charles Nelson, and the resort stayed in the Nelson family for a good portion of the 20th century. Former state senator Tom Bach, who represented that area for nearly 30 years, recalls. I remember being at, a, at an event one time on the North Shore, and, and George Nelson was speaking, and uh, it was shortly before he died. But I remember George saying that he was he was on a some kind of a ski battalion in World War II in Europe. And so he was very familiar with skiing. And he said, I, he said, I was sitting in the foxhole with my, my buddy. And he said, I told him, he said, if I ever get out of here alive, I'm going back to Minnesota and I'm going to build a ski hill at my grandpa's resort. And that's what he did right after World War II. He came back and, and they, they built the mountain that became a integral part of the whole Luton Resort complex. It's no nationally, if not internationally, particularly considering Cindy Nelson, right? I mean, that oh, brought sure, it to, absolutely. to international prominence, no, no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's sad to lose those kind of iconic buildings. It was a, uh, I stayed there like many Minnesotans. I stayed there many, many times. And uh, I, I think most Minnesotans that have ever been on the North Shore have probably been at Luton Resort stopped in. They have great blueberry pancakes. My, every time we went there for breakfast, my wife would have these great pancakes. More on the history of Lutzen Lodge after this break. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in, say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings and another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. When you're talking about the legacy of Lutzen Resort, it's good to have the long view. Scott Benson, a friend of Eminem's Bill Werner, grew up in North Minneapolis and moved to the North Shore in summer 1978 after graduating from the University of Minnesota and has been there ever since, working at Cascade Lodge, the Village Inn Resort, now Caribou Highlands, and at Solbakken for 26 years. Bill had a conversation with Scott about his memories of Lutzen Resort that they'd both like to share with you. As a child, we vacationed on the shore you know, since I was born. Usually stayed down by Castle Danger area, sure. but would make trips up to shore, so I was not unfamiliar with Lutzen Resort. But it wasn't until I moved up there in 1978 that it became uh, somewhat of a fixture back in my early years. Uh, living in what was an old equivalent of an old farmhouse up at the old Mink Ranch Road, mm-hmm. and you know, no running water, and I knew uh, some of the staff there, and wasn't a big deal going down there and 
you know, get taking a shower and using the pool if we needed to, you know, with uh, as long as long as another staff was with us and with the Polar Bear Lounge, which was at that time where the game room is now, it was kind of like a, <laughs> I guess it was a disco. that I <laughs> was in the disco, but it was a place to, place to hang out occasionally, and you know, it seemed like uh, high living in a sense to yeah. you know, go from up where I was living in the woods to down there to the bright lights and then getting a little fill and then you know, going back up you the woods again. Yeah. I don't remember the incarnation when, when it was the Polar Bear Lounge. Well, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was, or maybe I wasn't allowed in there. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but the one thing I, I do remember is the Polar Bear itself. An actual the bear obviously it, it had been to see a taxidermist, but the, as I understand, the actual polar bear that George Nelson had hunted, and I think, as I recall, the plaque said in 1962, and this was a 1,200-pound bear, <laughs> according to the plaque. Yeah, it was. It's massive. I know. I I have pictures of it somewhere in my photo albums. Absolutely. Scott and Brenda Benson owned a photography business dubbed North Shore Reflections, and one of the things they did was weddings. And the centerpiece of those events, he tells me, was often something that now is also gone at Lutzen Resort after massive floods a couple of springs ago, namely the iconic covered bridge over the Poplar River. My wife Brenda and I, over 20-plus years, probably photographed, I'm guessing, 40, 50 weddings there. As, as a part-time side job as a photographer, I'm sure we did at least two a year there over 20-plus years, and the bridge was always a spot that we took pictures of the bride and groom. There's even ceremonies held on the bridge. The upper bridge, I really enjoyed because it was quieter and on a hot day up on the hill up where we live now I'd come down to the lake sitting on the upper bridge and there'd always be a breeze at your back coming down the canyon so it was a great place to cool off so I, I remember that too I you know one thing that's that sticks in my memory of my first visit to Lutzen Resort which was probably in about 1967 with my family so the, the, the main lodge wasn't that old at that time really uh, I mean, I not, no it wasn't no I mean it wasn't even 20 years old at that time uh, but I remember crossing the lower bridge and going a little ways up on what was called at that time, I think, the Ridge Trail, which picked Correct. its way along over a precipitous edge and, and oh, went, very. yeah, I mean, you had to watch your step or you could potentially tumble. You might not go too far because there were a lot of trees on that hillside, but you could, could tumble a bit uh, and pick your way along there. Um, with the uh, young spruces popping up next to you, and uh, head all the way back to the to the upper bridge, cross over to to the other side, and go down uh, and explore around where there was an old uh, power station. There, they used to generate their power hy- uh, hydroelectric, right? At that point. Yes, yes, they had they'd made uh, a diversion uh, canal that diverted water off the river to turn the turbines right. for the resort power, and right, it's just such a scenic spot it's it's in countless photos in the background and it's just uh, it a favorite place you know for fishermen to go down to and you know, cast their rods and 
just added to the charm, as it were, with that bridge in the background, the old power plant, and who knows if the bridge will ever be rebuilt, you know, first things first, I guess. Yeah, that's right. It's, there are so many things up in the air now. Speaking of photography, it was also a haven for many musicians as they sponsored uh, music in the fireside or, uh, or also in the old Poplar River pub, and I've seen many of my friends play music there and had many a burger, and also my wife, uh, Brenda, plays pedal steel guitar and she the group that she uh, used to be in North Country Fair would play in the fireplace lobby more than a few times such a treat because it was such an intimate setting and everyone that I knew that played there really enjoyed it and that was the atmosphere was uh, a huge part of that so that's another area that's going to be missed. <laughs> if and hopefully there is a rebuild that's just not going to have the same feeling it just it just can't I mean it's that structure had a, had a history, and that was soaked into every corner of the, of the building. Gosh, so many memories. Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Tasha Radal. The unusually warm winter continues in Minnesota and there is still little to no snow on the ground statewide. On this week's show, MNN's Brent Palm talks with one of the state's official weather record keepers about what they're calling the lost winter of 2023-2024. Pete Boulay from the State Climatology Office, thanks for joining us today. Pete, I went skateboarding this week for the first time Ooh. ever in February. Some of my friends were out golfing. I cannot remember a Minnesota winter that was warmer and had less snow. Has there ever been one in our lifetime? Um, no, we're in the midst of a, a historic climate event for the state. Uh, so far, this is the least winter-like winter anyone alive has experienced in Minnesota. Um, we're in the middle of a very strong El Nino pattern. Those have historically been linked to some of our warmest winters. At the same time, there's been an ongoing trend for warmer winter conditions over the past several decades, You know, which has nothing to do with El Nino. So putting them both together... You know, we have the winter of 23-24, and on my way home from work, I drive by a pickleball court, and it's been full the last two nights. We almost hit the record Wednesday in the Twin Cities. They did set a record Tuesday all over the place. 50s, even in the southwest corner, that far western chunk can be kind of Marshall area, 59-60. So needless to say, this is unprecedented for this time of year. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, here in the Twin Cities, we, we've had 11.50 so far. The old record was 8, so we've already broken that. What this is doing is it's thawing the ground. The frost went out of the ground at Lamberton this week, so, you know, the, the frost is very shallow. You know, so any rain that we got basically in southern, even central Minnesota probably uh, went into the ground a little bit. Still, 
pretty frozen up north like Grand Forks and places like that. But this warm conditions, no snow on the ground, it really looks like uh, early April out there right now. Hey, you said there's never been a winter like this in our lifetime. Was there one before we were born? <laughs> yes. This winter is compared to what we, we would call the year without a winter. That's 1877-78, and uh, had a lot of qualities like this one where there was a spell of winter. We had our 10 days of winter. They had about two weeks of winter in 1877-78, and a lot of the record uh, ice outs are from that era if, if we have records for them. So uh, this winter is very closely you know, keeping track with 1877-78. You know, back then there were some hardships because well, a lot of the roads were dirt, and, uh, you know, and once the ground started thawing, they became quagmires during the winter. So it was hard to do commerce. So there was uh, some hardship back then because of the open winter. Hey, Pete, I, I'm not sure if this is public knowledge, but you told me that you folks at the State Climatology Office are putting together a web page. That's how extreme this winter is. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're calling it the lost winter, 2324. Um you know, basically, meteorological winter is uh, December, January, February. Um, obviously, we're way above normal for February so far. Now, we do have a little bit of a month to go, so I mean, things could happen towards the end of the month, so I'll have to keep tabs on it. But for right now, you know, we're, we have a web page going uh, with statistics on it to keep track of how many highs we get above 50 uh, across the state, uh, how many record highs we're setting, uh, trying to keep tabs, uh, you know, basically for history. And it's not just the Twin Cities in southern Minnesota, that coverage area. I know the numbers themselves aren't that high, but even in northern parts of the state, we've been seeing record warmth up that way, too. So 50-degree temperatures throughout much of the state with just basically no snow left on the ground uh, other than the far northeast part of the state. International Falls had its first 50-degree temperature in January in its history, and then the Twin Cities broke its record for number of 50-degree days for the for the winter season by early February. So, and, and that's a case because we have only 25% of normal snowfall through the first week of February. So there's been plenty of days that we haven't had any snow on the ground at all in central and southern Minnesota. And even we're losing snow in northern Minnesota. You got to go all the way up to the Canadian border now to find anything. And even like Pembina has two inches of snow left on the ground. And uh, just the highlands of Superior, there isn't much left there either. So uh, that's very rare for the first week of February to have such brown ground in the state, too. Hey, Pete, um, obviously we cover Minnesota and know what's going on here, but you mentioned to me that you're getting calls from the national media and folks in other places. Tell me a little bit about who you've been speaking with about this unusual winter here. Yeah, we've had uh, uh, CNN calling and NBC and uh, the 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 uh, the evening news shows, and then the uh, ABC has contacted us too. So it's been it's been kind of a national story. We're the epicenter of the winter warmth here in the state. If you look at the whole country, the red bullseye is right over Minnesota and Wisconsin. We're the warmest anywhere you look in the state, uh, going back to November for all but the western the southwestern and western part of the state. It's only the second or third warmest uh, late November through early February on record just because they had a little bit of snow. They had some snow there, but places that didn't have any snow, the warmest period we've seen, and uh, we'll have to see what February pans out. But this warm spell is not just here in Minnesota. It's also in North Dakota, Wisconsin, Michigan, all the way to northeast part of the country. The only places that aren't above normal uh, for this winter is like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. That's also 
very fitting for an El Nino pattern where they'll be cold and wet down south like you've heard in California. Got a lot of rain, too, um, and that's part of El Nino as well. We're high and dry. They're cool and wet. I think I heard somewhere that Alaska is extremely cold and snowy, which it normally yeah. is, but more than more than usual. Yep. So the cold air is somewhere. It just isn't here. It's been uh, it's been in Russia. It's been in Alaska, but not here. Well, Pete, it'll be interesting to see what we get the next two and a half, three weeks in February, and we'll definitely talk at the end of the month, and then we can kind of finalize maybe some of this record weather. Yeah, we'll be watching it and see what happens. Uh, will winter show up? I guess stay tuned. <laughs> Eminence Brent Palm and Assistant State Climatologist Pete Boulay. Time for our last break. Stay tuned. Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult, and it can be even harder during times like these when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, Quit Partner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, Quit Partner offers free support like one-on-one -on -one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of quit coaching and quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit quitpartnermn.com or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. The Golden Gopher women's gymnastics team remains undefeated on the season after beating Penn State last weekend. Head coach Jenny Hansen recently spoke with eminent sports director Mike Grimm about this weekend's home matchup against Michigan, the exciting future of the women's gymnastics program, the growing popularity of women's college sports, the changing landscape of college sports, including things like the transfer portal. You know, we haven't been affected to the same degree as these other sports, um, at least not yet. I hope it stays that way. Um, we've been really fortunate. We haven't had very many athletes uh, decide to leave our program. And if they did, it just wasn't the right fit. Um, you know, they're wonderful kids. It just, they found something different somewhere else, and we certainly wish them the best of luck. Um, we've been fortunate to be able to bring in a few transfers that have been game changers for us, you know. And uh, so we've been really happy with how that has worked out. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see see how the rest kind of pans itself out. It's not something that we typically are looking to very often. We'll look at the transfer portal here and there, but uh, we really want to just shape the kids that we've got within our program, and hopefully they just have such a great experience that that's not even something that's on their mind. Yeah. How about uh, name, image, and likeness? Yeah. Um, has that uh, been a factor, and are your athletes some trying to benefit on that? Uh, we definitely have a few that are capitalizing on, on those opportunities. It is something we want to continue to grow with in our program, and uh, I'm working pretty uh, regularly with our, our people here in the department to try to grow those opportunities for our student-athletes. Um, our women are just phenomenal role models, so anything we can do to get them um, out in the public and being able to speak and sign autographs and things of that nature is something that we're really looking at and just giving them those opportunities as well to get experience in those ways because yeah. that's really important for them as well. Um, you have some exciting news too. Tell us about the uh 
potential of a new facility here on yes, campus. Yes, yes, it is coming. We are so <laughs> excited. It has been something that I have been looking forward to, honestly, since I was a gymnast here, which is a really long time ago. But this new training facility, which we're hoping to break down in March, is going to be just a game changer for our program. We have been training at Pike Gym 25 plus years, and it's it's very much lacking some of the training devices that are essential for our student-athletes. Our staff has found a way to still overcome some of these uh, issues that we've dealt with, but this new training facility will be state-of-the-art. It'll have everything they need. We'll have foam pits and every kind of training device you can imagine in this new space, and it's going to be right here in Athletes Village. So the location you can't be beat, and it's just our athletes, I, I, you know, I feel like they're so deserving of this. So yeah. I'm so excited for them and for our program because this is kind of that last piece of the puzzle I felt like for our program is, you know, if we can get this facility, we've got everything that can make a tremendous program. Yeah, you mentioned it's been, you know, you've been fighting for this, so to speak. How much do you think the um, just the sheer success, the volume of success you've had in the last few years uh, just was at a point where we, we got to do this? I think that's huge for us. I think for us to be able to have the kinds of seasons we did, even with that uh, up against us, um, yeah. it really kind of showed um, the department and the state that, you know, hey, they're doing things right. They, they deserve this. They need this. So I think that helped us uh, tremendously. And then what does that do for recruiting uh, when you bring prospective student athletes to campus, uh, even just to see, I suppose, a hole in the ground here in the summer, right? <laughs> well, just to be able to point and say that's where yeah. it's going to go, you know, <laughs> is huge for us. But yeah, the fact that we're going to be breaking ground here in March and, you know, when we're competing against these top programs who, who've had great facilities for 5, 10, 15 years, now we're at least at a level playing field, I feel like, when we recruit. And so that's that's big time for us because we always felt like we were at a big disadvantage before. And somehow we, we continue to find great kids and help develop them. But now uh, the level of athletes that we can recruit just goes up, you know, and that we've got a, we have a chance to get now has gone up because of this new facility. The big uh, alumni day with uh, the celebration of 50 years. Yeah. Uh, Michigan, still some tickets available if people want to? Yeah, I suppose we, we better get people, though, going if they want to go, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, would, I would go get those tickets yeah. now if you want to be there. <laughs> go for sports.com for those tickets. And then you just have one other home meet, right? Correct. Yeah, we're on the road for several weekends in a row before senior night in March. So, yeah, yeah we've got... Uh, Quite a stretch there, but I, that'll that'll be good for us, prepping us for a postseason. The postseason, then you got the Big Tens, and then hopefully, right, if all mm-hmm. goes well, into the NCAA's. Uh, and the NCAA is kind of a double weekend. You got regionals, and you try to advance out of that into. Fort Worth, Texas Correct. is still there, right? Yep, yeah. yep, we're still at so Fort Worth. So kind of take us through as you gear into that what uh, what the hope is. Yeah, we've got Big Ten Championships. I think it's uh, middle of March there, towards the end of March. Um, and then it is qualifying to the NCAA Championships. You know, in the past years, we've been able to bypass round one. That's always the goal um, and get right into round two. And then from round two, um, you compete. And then you have a day off before round three. And so you're in the same location for rounds two and three. And so the hope is that you can make it to round three. And then if you are uh, have a great day, you can move on from round three to the national championships. And then there's round four and five, the semifinals and the finals in Fort Worth. Over the air TV for the championships again, I think, what, two or three years in a row now uh, for the NCAA championships, ABC. Correct. Um, how, how big is that, 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 that these steps are 
taken now to where um, finally the potential is is getting to to where it should be. It's huge for our sport to be on live um, TV, you know, on on ABC uh, is big, is really, really big. And uh, the growth of TV for gymnastics has continued every year. We're getting more and more coverage. Um, And just like a lot of women's sports, you know, deservedly so, we're finally getting on these uh, national broadcasts and getting a lot of the attention. And it's, it's so fun to see across the board the amount of people that are watching, yeah. you know, all, all women's sports are really just an all-time high. That's go for women's gymnastics coach Jenny Hansen with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Have a great week. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radolph.